0: You're listening to an encore presentation of Manson Mitchell. Seriously, there is not an unlimited amount of love in the world. It's rare. TGIF, it's Manson Mitchell with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to jumpstart your weekend. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, our grand poobah, Eric Crema always glad to hear from him. Hi, everybody. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. We are Mance and Mitchell in your ears for the hour of a Friday, once again, privileged to work alongside, well, across about 3,000 diagonal miles anyway. Bad boy Benny Mathers, our producer. Benny, how are you? The grand poobah? Does that mean I'm the little poobah or like the mini one? Like, I only feel me? like representation no. should Wait, be Like mini oh, me? No, you're too important. No, 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 me, me, no. There's me no me mini me. <laughs> well, well,
1: what's above the grand poobah? I don't know. You could be that. I guess. I mean... Well, then you got to come up with it. I don't know. I don't.
0: The master? You want to be
1: king? There's a there's a dog in the neighborhood named Duke, and it's a really sweet dog. And I said, oh, Duke, 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 you're so cute. You should be king. Same. So, well,
0: for today, anyway, Benny is the Duke of Poobah. Ah, there we go. I like it. Writing it down.
1: There you go. Duke of Poobah. It's
0: been every six years or so, we have to get in touch with this guy because he is a philosopher (laughs) for everyone.
1: This is only the second time we've talked to him, and we are so looking forward to it today. Can I go ahead and give him his mad props?
0: Oh, please do. He has so many good things to say.
1: Scott Stabile is the author of Enough As You Are. Enough As You Are. And... Big love, the power of living with a wide open heart. He's a passionate love advocate who believes there is no force more powerful in love to create real connection and healing in our world. Scott guides transformational breath work journeys and leads personal empowerment workshops internationally. His inspirational posts have attracted a huge and devoting social media following, including more than... what would you think would be a big number for social media, Gary? How about three hundred and fifty thousand? I say that's fans. a big number. That's that's about three hundred and forty nine thousand more than we. Have.
0: There may be people running for president who don't have that many.
1: <laughs> we will be sure to give out his contact information and more about how to get in touch with him at the bottom of the hour. In the meantime, welcome once again to Manson Mitchell Scott Stabil, Good to have you with us today.
2: Oh, I'm so happy to be with you too. I love your energy already. It's been too long.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's been too long. Yes, we are happy to have you here today. We have read Enough As You Are. And it's a very interesting book, the way that you put it together. So I thought maybe you'd mention why you put it together the way you did. Why this, why this format?
2: Well, it's a it's a collection of short prose and shorter poetic writings, and it's really a bunch of writings that I've done for many years now. And I pulled a bun- a bunch of my favorites together, and added to them some new pieces. and And what I noticed when I was kind of curating a lot of my favorite passages, I mean, I know that I lo- I write a lot about love. That's definitely what I feel passionate about. Um, but this collection. It's a lot about self-love and self-acceptance and the ways in which we can look at all aspects of ourselves and come to a place of acceptance and grace and love of the parts, even the ones that are sometimes more difficult to like. And uh I I formatted it in three different sections, you, me, and us. And that was simply because I'm either always writing in the second person to you or first person as an I, or the collective like let's we and make it more um kind of community-based. So it felt like a natural way to format the book. And I think it I think it worked out really well because the you section tends to feel a lot more like cheerleading, like me reminding you, hey you're worthy, you're enough, you're beautiful. And then the me section is a lot more introspective. You know, it's a lot more of the struggles I have in coming to to alignment with love for parts of myself. And then the we section is more of the a combination of that, like cheerleading us all on. And then also, um, kind of calling us out a little bit like, hey, look at look at the way we are showing up and how can we shift that to a more compassionate, compassionate, forgiving, empathetic way of being.
1: That was really a great explanation and very thorough. You said you'd been collecting these for a long time. Uh Like, how long have you collected these years? And do you have a file folder that's like four inches wide or something that has all these pieces of paper in it?
2: Well, no, because of the computer. It's all in there. I mean, it's really stuff I've been sharing on social media for seven, eight, nine, ten years now. Ah, You know, for many years, I've been sharing these types of writings on social media and really making noise for love and self-love.
0: Now together in one
2: volume. (laughs) <laughs> right. No, exactly. It's kind of nice to just have a book. And I what I appreciate and the feedback I've been getting from people too is just, this is the kind of book you could choose to read it front to back, or it's very much the kind of book you can just open it up to a, like meditate, open it up to a page, and then reflect on the message of that page for the day, like pulling an Oracle card or something.
1: That was exactly what Gary and I were saying <clears throat> this morning. We read it front to back we wanted to read each section and see what was in each section. But then we sat and talked to ourselves and said, you know, we could leave this on our coffee table, and then just like pick a number between one and 220. And every day read something that could be pertinent to our lives, which would be very easy to do. Um, In the introduction, I mentioned something about breath work, transformational breathwork journeys. I wanted you to say a yeah. little bit about that. What what is the significance of, of breath work journeys?
2: Well have you all heard of um holotropic breathwork or no, any no. anything no, like Please okay. explain it. Yeah. I mean there's this this type of breathing, I mean, there are a lot of different types of breathing. And if you've practiced yoga, there's a a whole host of pranayama breaths. Well, years ago, I was on retreat in Costa Rica. And it was actually an ayahuasca retreat. And we had several different ceremonies with this plant medicine. But prior to beginning those ceremonies the night before, we were guided in this one hour breathwork session, and it was a very specific way of breathing. And it wasn't a meditative breath. And I think a lot of times when we think about breath, we think about ways to get us into a more relaxed state. This breath is actually an extremely activating breath. And you're lying on your back through it and you're breathing in and out through your mouth in a very specific way. And when I tell you that in that first session, this is my introduction to it, I went. I was laughing hysterically. I was crying hysterically. I was like my body was flailing and activating. And I i swear, I saw the light of my soul. Like I experienced mm. this feeling of bliss that was unlike anything I'd ever experienced in my life. And there, so breathwork is, it's kind of having a moment these last couple of years, I ended up getting trained as a facilitator in it about just over a year and a half ago. And it's, simply another tool that you can use to move energy in your body and activate healing. You know, I've had uh inner child work, healings and breath work. I have communed with past loved ones, which is nothing I've ever experienced in my life prior to this. And I've also just moved a lot of um stuck energy out of my body in these sessions. It is a very difficult thing to talk about without having experienced it because it's going to sound really far out. And and like, what do you mean? Your breath can take you there, but your breath can take you there. So whoever, wherever you're listening to this from, I encourage you to look up breathwork in your area and you're likely to find at a yoga studio or somewhere else, somewhere you can participate in this. And I also starting in December, I'm going to bring back my once a week online breathwork journeys that I guide.
0: I I don't know if that helps you at all. It, It does. It helps. It helps me ask this question. How would you define Prana?
2: Well, it's just that's like life energy right so pranayama is like breath of life and this breath is very different though than the yogic breaths i mean even kundalini breaths which are a bit more advanced if you're familiar with kundalini breathing um this this man named stan groff probably 50 years ago created this practice called holotropic breathwork and that's the umbrella under which the breathwork eye guide is but holotropic practice might be people might spend two hours In this active breath practice and you have someone sitting each breather has someone sitting with them to guide them because you really go on like a hallucinogenic journey if you're doing this breath for that long. So mine is much more, much less intense than that, but you also in 25 to 30 minutes are carried on a journey. And I should say sometimes I do breath work and I don't feel much of anything. It's not it's not a guarantee every single time that working with your breath is going to take you there. And I've had some of the most powerful healing experiences of my life in this practice.
0: When it comes to breathing, sometimes I practice it just to interrupt my own overthinking. Yeah, a a good friend of mine said two words two of the most important words definitive words I've heard in a long time. She said, you overthink. And it's true. And if you stay up in your head all the time, it's hard to come to the rest of your senses.
2: We all overthink, Gary. I mean, that is the nature of being human, right? We're all on a a hamster on the wheel of our thoughts so often. And and i agree that breath the breath work i'm talking about is really effective at getting out of your mind and into your body and then i'm curious when you do what like what breaths do you do when you're getting yourself out of overthinking
0: for me it's a matter of not counting them i find that just gets in the way because then mr overthinker goes no am i at six or seven i i forget should i go back to one yeah all of that all of that unsaneness shows up right all of that neurotic behavior and so uh i feel like if i breathe as deeply as i can comfortably hold it just ever so slightly and then let it go whether i'm pushing the breath out or simply letting it out either through my nose or my mouth if i do it enough times i don't have to count the breaths i can feel the effect of the breathing itself it's cumulative
2: yeah that makes sense. There's so much we can play with with all different types of breath, honestly. And and especially when we're when we're racked with anxiety in a moment. Like just one of the most powerful breaths I'll I'll just share with you for me to ground me and to help me feel more centered is just to give your exhale two beats more than your inhale. So if you're inhaling four counts. At the fourth count, hold it for one beat, and then exhale six counts. If you're inhaling three counts, exhale five counts. And what that tells your parasympathetic nervous system is that you're actually relaxed. And what that can do is create relaxation for you. So if I am feeling really wired or amped up, I do that breath and it helps me feel much more in my body.
0: Thank you for that explanation. It makes me curious enough to ask, what about posture? If it's any form of meditation, there are people who are religious in their posture there. It has to be just so I take a more relaxed attitude toward it. If I'm relaxed, I'm in the right posture.
2: I like that attitude. I don't have a lot of opinions about posture, and I don't know enough about it to really offer insight other than what you just said. If you're feeling good in your body, then you're likely in a good posture for yourself. Good answer. Yeah.
1: I wanted to um, read a couple of things from each of these sections to give people an idea of what to expect from your book called Enough As You Are. The first section is called You, and I'll I'll read uh, one or two of those and we'll talk about them. The first one is on page five, How Others See You Doesn't Represent the Truth of Who You Are but only their perception of you, nothing more. And that will always be beyond your control. So don't own what others think of you. That's for them to own. Your job, should you choose it, is to work at loving yourself and accepting yourself as much as you are able. That includes your crooked smile and atypical fashion sense and bizarre family history and even your penchant for garden gnomes. Look, you like what you like. There will only ever be one you, just one in all of eternity. Whatever it is that makes you, you can be something to celebrate if you let it, instead of something to feel ashamed of or less than on account of. You are beautiful and enough, just as you are, really just as you are. That's that's one paragraph on one page with white space above it and white space below it and it reminds me a little bit of um, a terry cole whitaker who says what what you think of me is none of my business
2: yeah and yeah.
1: you know here we are again that you don't really have any control over what other people are thinking about you or saying about you but isn't that a trap that we are all in and we don't think of ourselves as being so unique you know we want to be like other people i don't want to be so different and yet you say we are there is only one of you there, there isn't a second one that is exactly like you i mean
2: absolutely first <laughs> i want to say i really liked how you read that passage oh, as well thank you. <laughs> Yeah. And- <laughs> you know i had a very liberating moment years ago it started um it started as a heavy moment when i really came to understand that no matter how you show up in the world you will be judged by other people there is no way around it and at first that felt really heavy to me and then something shifted inside and then i i i I looked at it like wow no matter what i do no matter how i show up i'm going to be judged so knowing that we have a choice. Are you going to live in alignment with the box of conditioning you've been put in since a young child that you're only okay if you do and say and love and look a certain way? Or are you going to live in the expansiveness of your authenticity and freedom and knowing that whatever choice you make, you will be judged for it. Why would you ever choose to live in the box of conditioning? And so it was really a gift to understand that People are always going to judge us. And as you just said, it's none of our business what people think of us, in great part because we have no control over what people think of us. You can be in a room of 100 people, they're going to have 100 individual experiences of you based on their own experiences of their lives and themselves and everything that's happening for them in that exact moment. And it's all beyond our control. So I'm not going to pretend that I don't care what other people think about me I do I'm just not I don't dictate my life by it the way I used to I still want to be liked and loved and adored and all of these things that are innate desires I think in all of us it's only when we decide to define our choices by how we think other people are going to perceive, perceive us that we're doing a big disservice to ourselves I believe
1: I was having a conversation yesterday with a friend of mine where we were talking about how healthy it is, if you really understand that, that not everybody likes you, and you're okay with it. Mm -hmm. And, and I said that when I had that moment of awakening for myself, you know, I spent childhood and teenage years, you know, wanting people to like me, so how can I, how can I fit in? Mm -hmm. But at some point, it hit me that I don't like everybody. (laughs) And I thought, if I don't like everybody, why would everybody like me? Exactly. I love
2: that. You're an equal opportunity disliker.
0: (laughs) Thereby an honest person, because you don't have to like everybody. It's unreasonable to expect that you're going to be universally popular. I don't care who you are.
2: Absolutely. The the one thing I would invite in all of us, and I certainly am, this is what I'm working on in my life and have been for a long time, Is, is recognizing that I don't have to like everybody or even all aspects of myself to offer love. Like love doesn't require liking people, but can I still, even with the people I don't like, center myself in a more compassionate place in terms of if I'm interacting with them, how I interact with them? Because that, that for me is the invitation of love, understanding that it is always possible to rest in a more compassionate state of being, a more empathetic way of being. And even if we know this isn't a person I want in my life, and, and how do you apply that to social media where we're bombarded, if you're someone who's on social media, bombarded with reactionary responses to everything and being confronted with really toxic messaging by people. For me, it's like, can you resist the impulse to respond in a way that is also toxic? Because understanding that that doesn't ultimately in any way serve the greater good. First and foremost, it doesn't serve me. It doesn't serve the other person. And it doesn't serve the greater good to add that kind of um dehumanizing or shaming um energy to an environment that's already filled with dehumanization and shame
1: yes yes thank you thank you on that note i'm going to read a second one because i would like to right. pick a couple there's there's a lot of pages here and i'm only going to pick a couple from each section this is quite the whitman sampler you have it is, going. It it is whitman <laughs> oh, sampler. Wow. courtesy of <laughs> it scott's is, the deal this one is a little milk chocolate <laughs> with cashews It's called on page 10, just show up as you are. You don't have to look or feel great. You don't have to be prepared for each challenge or know all the hows of every situation. You don't have to be fearless, have all the answers or be 100% ready. Nobody is any of these things. Nobody ever was. It's not about being perfect at all. You just have to show up as you are, despite all the objections and insecurities of your mind, despite each and every fear that threatens to hold you back, despite the limitations and criticisms others will place on you, to hell with all that. This is your life, your journey, your adventure, and it's all asking, and all it's asking of you is to show up for it as you are. That's enough. That's more than enough. That's everything. And to that, I wanted to tell you another story, and then you can tell a story if you like, Scott. And that is that uh, for 10 years, I was in Toastmasters. And for six of those 10 years, I was in the leadership statewide of Toastmasters. And I can remember when I was a a newbie member, uh, I was a member for a year, and very active and loving what I was doing when I was asked to take a larger role. And the little me goes, who, me? And mm. and and then I, I said, yes, I would do it. And of course, I, I grew quite a bit out of managing a half a dozen Toastmasters clubs in the area that I was living in what i discovered at that time was what leadership was leadership was no more than saying yes Mm -hmm. because it wasn't as though the leaders were extra smart they weren't extra anything or uh, more charismatic they weren't anything other than willing to do the job and so i met with many different types of people introverts extroverts people who you know were of all different age ranges all different educational ranges but the person who put their hand up and said i'll do that that's what made him the leader and all the people that kept their hands down didn't want to be the leader. Sometimes all it takes is your willingness to show up. And we think, oh, no, I have to be this or that. I have to be, yeah. you know, smart and rich and, you know, have my whole life together before I can lead a group of people. And that's really not true. And I I figured it out then that you don't have to be a certain way. You just have to say, yes, I'll do that.
2: Yeah, what a powerful uh, lesson and reflection. It's so true, because we, we keep ourselves so often from stepping into the call of our hearts, because we feel we're not ready, or we're not enough to do so. And the truth is, we're really never going to be as ready as we would want to be for any big thing in our lives, yep. right? Yep. Because there's that's always right. so, there's always something else your mind is going to come up with that you could be more prepared, you could be more intelligent, you could be more this, you could be more that. And yet nothing is going to happen if you just don't decide to take the first step and do it, which is what you're speaking to. And ultimately, that's when you, the gift of that is also then seeing that well, <laughs> what I was going to say is seeing that you are ready and you are enough. And maybe sometimes what you see is I need a little more something, but I'm actually taking the step. And if had I not taken that step, I wouldn't even be aware of what more I need to do in order to be ready for the next step or however we want to do it. You know, I, this particular passage, I would say I, I have gotten because I probably wrote that six years ago and over the years from yoga teachers again and again and again, telling me that this is something that they read in their yoga classes. And I think it's because sometimes it's so hard to show up for the things in life that we know are going to be good for us. And once you do, you come to discover, oh, all I needed to do was get myself there. And then things, things will unfold naturally from that place. And certainly with yoga and getting to the gym, like I dread it, dread it, dread it. And then I get there and I never regret having shown up for those types of things.
0: Well, I'm impressed now. Scott said he wrote that about six years ago. When was he last on our show? You six do the, years ago. You okay. do
1: the math. Yeah, I know where he got the idea. Too. Exactly.
2: I probably stole it from you. You probably said it when we were talking oh, last time. I don't believe we think that deeply. Maybe Suzanne, not you, oh. Gary. Correct. Correct. All right, I like
1: this guy. We can go ahead and take our break now. Let's take it early because we. I still want to pull some... more things out of the book for the second half so uh, we are talking with scott stabile he is the author of several books the most recent is enough as you are a wonderful book with all kinds of very inspirational ideas on the inside i'm going to read a few more of those after the break so please stay with us and thank you for listening to manson mitchell on alternative talk am 1150.
0: Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Manson and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash manceandmitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Multicultural, multidimensional even. Alternative Talk 1150.
1: You're listening to an Encore presentation of Manson Mitchell. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our guest this hour, Scott Stabile, author of uh, several books. The last one here in my hand is Enough As You Are. Scott, if people would like to get your books, find out about breathwork journeys or connect with you on social media and be one of 350,000 people on Facebook with you, Um, please tell our listeners now all the ways in which they can connect with you.
2: Sure, thank you for that. I mean, my my website, scottstabile.com, I'm on Facebook and Instagram, at scottstabile. And then I also have a Substack newsletter which is a Um Yeah, those are those are the main ways. I'm not going to give out my cell just yet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Start at scottstabile.com. And yeah, I exactly. think you could probably go from there. Yes. I wanted to uh, get a couple things in from each of the sections, and your your book is in three sections. You me and us i've read a couple from you and i wanted to pick a couple from me and talk about them and one of them is from uh, page 78 what i'm willing to allow in my life directly relates to how i feel about myself which is why self-love is a critical component of any peaceful life when i feel i'm not enough i allow for relationships and circumstances that mirror this feeling When I connect to the truth of my worthiness, I invite relationships and situations that honor my worth and am no longer as likely to give my time and energy to ones that don't. My worth won't allow it. It all begins with self-love, with understanding the power we have to transform our lives by creating a loving and accepting relationship with ourselves. Again and again, I have enhanced my life with a deeper dedication to loving myself again. And again, I have created more peace and joy by resting in the truth that I am worthy and enough exactly as I am, exactly as I am, as are you. And when I read that, I was thinking about all the people who have very difficult relationships. And the idea that loving yourself in a very healthy way might mean you're not attracting those kinds of difficult relationships into your life. You change your energy, you change your frequency. And so rather than complaining about, you know, my boyfriend or my girlfriend or my husband or my wife is terrible and doesn't treat me right and this and that, you know, it's never about changing the other person, is it, Scott?
2: Yeah, I mean, we we we'll drive ourselves insane trying to change other people. And we've all done it, especially in relationships, you know, and, and we all, that's, that's how we come to learn. You can't do it. Right. (laughs) But but what I've, you know, what I've found is that it's, I when I'm really centered in my sense of, of worth. And and what I want to say first is that your worth is inherent. It is not predicated on your success your financial state your looks your family any of those things they're all beautiful if they add more meaning to your life and they have absolutely nothing to do with you being a worthy human being you were born worthy you will die worthy and the more you can come into understanding that and really feel it in your bones the the more your life changes because when you when you are connected to your sense of self-worth you simply do not allow for the same things in your life which is essentially what you're saying Suzanne it's You may not attract them, but even if you do attract them, it's not something you're ultimately going to give your energy to because a a worthy person does not, in general, accept someone who's going to treat them disrespectfully. They're not going to, they're not going to stay in, in an experience that feels toxic. And that feels depleting because you simply you recognize that that is out of alignment with self love. And the more worthy you feel, the more loving of self you feel. And so, my experience is that when I move through the world in, in a worthy state, I feel like I'm my. You can't see me, right? My arms are outstretched right now, and I feel really open and expansive, and naturally invite connections and experiences that that reflect that openness and that expansiveness. And conversely, if I'm mired in self-doubt and believing I'm not worthy, you know, my my posture is more shut down, more closed down. And it just makes rational sense. And it certainly makes energetic sense that what you're gonna invite and attract into your life is reflective of that. And what's beautiful about this for me is because if you're listening and you're someone who's like, well, I'm not loving myself. I don't, I don't feel like I'm enough. The first thing I want to say to you is that it's not too late, right? It is always what we do from this moment on that will matter the most in our lives. And knowing that you can, you can at any point decide you want to shift and deepen the relationship with yourself and then look at ways to go about doing that. And. And that's where I get really excited is just understanding even if for 30 years you've been living in a state of low self-worth and not really liking yourself well okay that was those 30 years here we are right now what are we going to do with ourselves moving forward
1: You know being in a relationship <clears throat> with Gary there are things that I like about Gary and there are things <clears throat> that Gary likes about me and and every once in a while we we communicate that but after reading your book and and so much about really needing to love yourself first and foremost we a couple times this week we we played a game where we said let's talk about what each of us likes about ourselves
2: ah hallelujah
1: so i said gary what do you like about yourself and he had a ready answer and then i said okay well this is what i like about myself we did that a couple of times in preparation for the show and talking with you today not actually as homework but just as organically coming out of reading the book is that self love is important it it's not unimportant it really lays the groundwork for uh, your other relationships and you know when people feel abused i'm i'm saying well what is it in you that would allow that to happen
2: yeah. I mean, self-love is is critically important. It is the foundation from which we interact with everyone and everything, which is to say that the relationship I have with myself informs every single relationship in my life. And that alone is reason enough to give tangible intentional energy to deepening the relationship you have with yourself. And and by the way again for those of you listening who are wondering well how how do we even begin this? I I would say that I feel most of us are actually acting in a loving way with ourselves in ways that we often take for granted. So a first step for everyone might be to just acknowledge the ways that you actually are taking care of yourself. You actually are loving yourself. Every time you brush your teeth, every time you prepare a meal for yourself, every time you dress yourself in clothes that make you feel good, every time you clean your home, these are actually all acts of self-love and yet we don't take the time to acknowledge them. And then we come to this place of believing I don't love myself. I'm never taking care of myself when, in fact, you're taking care of yourself often throughout the day. So I invite you like the next time you cook yourself a meal, the next time you brush your teeth, as corny as this may sound, take five seconds, 10 seconds and put your hands on your heart and just acknowledge this is actually me in this moment loving myself. And what that does, because everything here is energy and energy naturally builds upon itself, it creates momentum. Every time you're taking a moment to acknowledge the way you're loving yourself, you're creating more and more opportunities for you to love yourself throughout the day. And all of those moments of reflection on self-love are moments taken away from our mind's propensity to self abuse, and call ourselves names and beat up on ourselves. So it's all money in the bank for me.
1: I love that. I love that.
0: There's a ditty sung in some religious circles that goes something like and pardon my singing here, but I love me so much. So I can love you so much. It astounds me how many people I meet who have the first part down and then they figure ah, oh, that's enough for one day.
2: <laughs> yeah. And that's, I do wanna to say to what you're saying, that is the beautiful, because some people resist giving energy to self-love because they think it's selfish. And, we're, and women especially are conditioned so deeply. You have to take care of everyone else first before you think of yourself. But the beauty of the energy of love is that it always transcends self. And you can trust that by giving energy to your relationship with yourself, You're actually being of service to others in your life.
0: And it will find ways to show up. Having that mindset seems to create its own opportunities, if you will. 100%. Yes.
1: All right. I'm going to read a second one from the section called me. I don't expect my neuroses to disappear, but they don't carry the same weight as they once did because I don't feel as heavy about them. I don't judge my perfectionism, obsessive thinking, envy, and compulsive habits the way I used to. I see them as part of being human, and I've chosen to accept them as aspects of my personality. I find them annoying, even crippling at times, but I try not to begrudge myself for them. I don't believe we evolve out of our personalities as much as we evolve into a more expansive acceptance of who we are i'm learning to let my mind be without the compulsion to become my mind in my commitment to love myself i shower love on the frustrating bits too i become the sky and don't fret as much about my inclement weather it is nice and hard To accept the shadow parts of ourselves, Mm -hmm. you know, it's nice to talk about, you know, what we do well and how wonderful we are, but how can you say it's okay that I'm this way or that way? It's okay if I get cranky. It's okay if I'm judgmental. How do you, how do you accept all of it?
2: I mean, for me, part of that process is really reminding myself that every other human being on the planet gets cranky. Every other human being envies. Every other human being is jealous. We all have human minds, which means we all carry within us the vast insanities that come with having a human mind. And and I'm much more generous and graceful about my humanity than I've ever been. And I also have learned that in all my years of shaming myself for my envy or for my jealousy or for all the different ways in which I'm not showing up in alignment with how I would like to, I have never shamed myself into healing. And yet I have loved mm-hmm. myself again and again into a better place of being, which is to say that we don't even consider often the possibility that it's, it is it is. It is possible to love the aspects of you that you don't even like. And I am getting much more practice at inviting all of those things to sit at, have a seat at the table because anything we try to deny, anything we try to put in the dungeon, they're just going to be pounding on the doors and making a lot of noise and, and creating within us, who knows what kind of passive aggressive behavior or, or aggressive behavior because we're unwilling to just be honest that this too is a part of who I am.
0: And then the other thing- That
2: self-acceptance is key. Self-acceptance is key, as is accepting the parts of ourselves that are unable to have self-acceptance. Like part of self-love invites me not only to love everything about myself, it invites me to love the parts of myself that are unable to love everything about myself. Like we're so expansive in our capacity for love. And when we really open ourselves up to it, there's nothing out of bounds as far as love is concerned and the beautiful thing about that is when we are able to do that for ourselves we are so much more naturally able to do that for others
1: i love that me too i love that all right section number three is called us and i've got one thing here at least one hopefully two but one thing i want to read from the section called us We have more control over our thoughts than we tend to believe. If a movie we don't like is on TV, we find a new one. If a song we can't stand is on the radio, we change the station. And yet, when we're thinking thoughts that make us feel like crap, we often keep thinking them. We lock ourselves into the misery. It's possible to change the channel on our thoughts, too tune into a station that feels better, one rooted in love or creativity or beauty or anything that feels more uplifting. Why not practice this? Why not play with giving ourselves more good feeling thoughts as often as possible? Not from a place of denial either, but from understanding that there is so much more than darkness and pain here, just as there is so much more than self-abuse and insecurity in our minds, we think we are our thoughts. That's that's who we are. I am my thoughts. Yeah. It is hard to change a thought, and I, I think that yeah. was either Henry Ford or Thomas Edison said the hardest thing to change is a thought. Mm-hmm. It is it's difficult to change thoughts, and I I find in conversations with people, especially when people are suffering, I I say, well, let's. Can we look at it a different way? Can we can we get a different perspective? I try to do that with myself. I try to do that with other people, because it's our stinking thinking that puts us in a bad place.
2: Absolutely. And look, I want to be clear. Sometimes we, we're unable to do it. Uh, sometimes I'm so mired in whatever misery or grief or story or heartbreak that even with all my tools, I'm not able to get myself out of the headspace I'm in. And for me, in those moments, what I come back to is just knowing that this too shall pass. Like that is for me a saving grace often is just understanding that nothing lasts forever. And if right now I'm not able to shift my perspective, eventually I'm going to get to the other side of it in one way or another. And at the same time, there are many moments where we actually can reframe our thinking, where we can consider if when we bring awareness to how we're feeling and if how we're feeling is deeply miserable or anxious and we track that back to what we're thinking about because how we're feeling can always be tracked back to what we're thinking about. There's an opportunity there in that moment of of awareness if We're mired in this state for so long. What if we think about any other thing? If thinking about ourselves and our situation in this moment, we're not able to come up with anything that feels like resolution, think of anything else. I have a go-to video in my life. It's of this little lap dog I don't know what kind It's this cute little dog and he's sitting up and he's drinking a green smoothie. And the whole video is of the cutest little dog ever with his tongue, just coming out and going lap, lap, lap into this green smoothie. He's getting it all over his whiskers. No matter how I'm feeling in my life. If I go to this video, it is going to bring a smile to my face and it will energetically interrupt whatever is going on in my life, even for a minute and why why not play at this and just see what types of of distractions or experiences we when we can create again not from a place of denial but from a place of acknowledging in this moment i'm not able to create for myself any sort of harmony by staying in this thought process so i'm going to interrupt it and play with something different
1: i like that interrupt those bad thoughts and go do something else it is and It's a pragmatic
0: way of looking at life because you're giving yourself an alternative. Not everybody can work through a given moment like it's a syllogism. I know there are plenty of people who try, the philosophers among us. But even if you don't have time to work through all of that, you can think about something else because it feels better. That's justification enough, I would say.
2: Yeah, we all want to feel good. And look, I understand life is not about always feeling good. And look at our world. There are a lot of reasons not to. At the same time, one of the most innate desires, I believe, in all of us is to feel good. So if we're naturally desiring that, how do we prioritize that in a more intentional way in our lives?
1: Very good. I'm going to read one more. So this will actually be two from each section. This is from the third section called Us you me us from enough as you are by scott stabile page 211 we have to take responsibility for how we choose to communicate are we showing up with love or with judgment are we open to seeing where the conversation goes or are we rigid in our expectations are we committed to being kind or to being right these choices count They invite either connection or conflict. I have a Costco story to tell. Oh, good. (laughs) I love Costco
2: stories.
1: (laughs) When there's only two people that get you out of the place, and of course, there's lines to get out and they're checking your ticket. And there have been uh, many a time coming out where you're jockeying for position. You know, can I be next? And Uh who's behind me and who's in front of me? And, you know, all that's going on. Well, the other day when I was in in Costco, uh, I had, oh, a dozen things in a basket and a little old man came up beside me and he had one thing in his hand and he was de- he's deciding he was going to beat me out. Now, I could beat this guy out in a country mile. He was 10 or 20 uh-huh. years older than me and I could uh-huh. easily get to the front. But I, I stopped And he got in front of my cart and had his one item checked out. The girl who was doing the checking out checked with me to make sure that that was okay. Since he had gotten in ahead of me, he had jockeyed ahead of me. And I I nodded yes at her and she checked out his one item and then she counted up my dozen items and, and hit my ticket. And I thought later... That could have easily been a confrontation. I was here Mm -hmm. first. No, no, I was here first. No, I was here first. It was so easy to take Mm -hmm. one second and just let this guy go. It was not a big deal. And it isn't that I'm such a saint. I've elbowed my way into the front (laughs) of many a line. But on that particular day, I chose kindness instead of competition. I chose to let this guy go. Not only did it make a difference for that guy and a difference for me made a difference for the lady who was letting people go at the costco because she witnessed somebody saying no you go first and Absolutely. so that made a difference for her too because i'm sure all day long she's seeing people bumping their carts against one one another because they're they're trying to get out before somebody else gets out and so When we think I'm only one person, it's only one thing, it doesn't make a big difference. You know, maybe it does. I think all of
2: these moments of kindness, compassion, they're powerful. They do impact beyond even what we can imagine and and just think about it you're telling this story through this lens now and and think about on the day of had you gotten in a confrontation with him how many who knows how many hours of your life would have been spent thinking about that negative experience and now when you're reflecting on it you're reflecting on it through the lens of look at what kindness can do look at you know what i'm saying so these moments absolutely matter absolutely
1: They do. It's
2: all They're, energy. It's they, all energy. Yeah. We are, we are so much more powerful than we can even imagine when we are operating from a place of love and all that love invites into our lives. And the the ripple effects that that has, we can't even begin to know, honestly. And we don't and, need to know. Yeah. It's enough to know how it, how it is, how it's making me feel in this moment and how it's making your loved ones feel in this moment. Right.
1: Right. Right. Yeah, I think uh, small successes, we, we might not think it counts for much, but that ripple effect may actually count for a whole lot more than we ever realize. And as you said, we just don't realize how powerful we are. And that's powerful for bad, and that's powerful for good. And, you know, do something kind today. You know, do something. Yeah. Bottom line. Kind today. (laughs) Like everybody everybody listening, do one kind thing today. And, you know, it, it might not seem like much, but in the aggregate, if millions of people did one kind thing today, you're talking about a whole shift in the energy and a whole shift in the consciousness. And do you think that's where things might be going right now? I mean, you wouldn't say that if you were watching Uh, the news, but but is there a tipping point on everything that's going on on the news where we're just, that's just going to end? I I certainly hope so. I I,
2: I feel optimistic from the perspective that I am engaging with more and more people who seem to be waking up to a more conscious and loving way to be in the world and who seem to be, uh, disavowing other ways of being like who simply don't want to participate if there's not for me I'm not interested in participating if if there's not love as a foundation even if it's about political things where my convictions are aligned I'm not interested in playing with groups that are in any way dehumanizing others even if if it's others who are dehumanizing them that isn't the way i want to go about creating change personally so i feel like yeah i I do feel there's i don't know when the tipping point will happen who knows because there's a lot of there's a lot of ugliness out there as well but you know what i've come to honestly for myself is whether i see the world as imploding or flourishing who do I want to be? And that answer is still the same. I want to be a person who is speaking for the power of love. And so in a way it makes no difference what's going on outside. It's like what's happening within me and how do I want to show up in this world in alignment with what feels most true for me. And that's what I'm doing.
0: That's very nicely said, Scott. Thank you. I think it's a great philosophy of life that can be applied day by day. One day at a time.
1: Absolutely. thank you for joining us today the book again enough as you are scott stabile stabile is spelled s-t-a-b-i-l-e and i did pronounce it correctly did i not perfectly yeah okay thank you. great yeah. so get the book and joy and thank, thank you, you both so much, much. It's been oh, a pleasure welcome. scott it's beautiful we'll do it again. thank you all right we'll do it again all right okay and next up is Robin Alexis. And at one o'clock today, we have Trip Talk with Gary Mance.
0: Hope you tune in. Have yourselves a great weekend, everyone.